With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, Buzzkillers, it's your old professor here, and we have a special episode today given what's going on in the United States, and we want to ha- bring on the show retired Brigadier General and Emeritus Professor of History from the United States Military Academy at West Point, Ty Sedgley, who's on the line with us at the last minute, more or less, to talk about these famous, now famous, army bases that are named after Confederate officers. Thank you very much for coming on the show, General. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's it. it we're, we're throwing this show together at the last minute because of what's, what's going on, but the more I've looked into the work that you've done and, and the more we've talked about what, what to say, it just... It deepens my understanding in it uh, of post-Civil War America and early 20th century America, and it continues to surprise me. I didn't know that all these military bases were named after generals. I thought they were just named after places. Yes, that we the, the way that we've named posts uh, really starts in the, in the colonial period in the American Revolution where we name them after local commanders. And mm-hmm. local commanders were allowed to do that until about 1880, when regional commanders did. And then in 1917, the War Department named them because we went from a little over 100,000 in the Army to uh, 4 million in 18 months. And in World War II, the War Department also named them episodically when we went to nearly 15 million. So it's the, it's the Army really that named these posts. But they did them for local sensibilities. In other words, they wanted to make sure they didn't tick off too many people, Okay, mostly. And you you grew up in a military background, or you went to you went to Washington and Lee University? As I yes, understand. Yes, yes. I had no military background whatsoever. Okay. I uh, took a uh, ROTC scholarship because I was running out of money. I was <laughs> poor. Uh, I was a mercenary in a way, and I raised my right hand and gave the oath of office at Washington and Lee University in Lee Chapel, uh, surrounded by Confederate flags, with right. a portrait of Robert E. Lee right next to me. In fact, I gave the oath, the oath of office that I took, the same one we take now, is an anti-Confederate oath ta- written in 1862. So oh, when you say that. enemies foreign and domestic, it means it's talking about Confederates. I had no idea. Oh, and so right. my first duty assignment was Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I grew up revering Robert E. Lee, uh, but I was wrong. Yeah. I was wrong because Robert E. Lee uh, committed treason to preserve slavery. And he committed that treason uh, there were nine U.S. Army colonels uh, from Virginia in 1861. Eight of them stay loyal to the country. And Lee and only Lee is the one that fights for his, uh, uh, fights against his country, I argue, because of his abiding belief in, in slavery. Right, right. Okay, so that must have been, 
it must have been a difficult transition for you to have grown up in that situation, but yet then eventually come to the realization of what actually happened. Well, it's been a long transition. And I, I was teaching here at West Point for a number of years. And uh, my epiphany came uh, when I was living on Lee Road by Lee Gate in Lee Housing area. Yeah. And I walked by Lee Barracks, uh, all named after Robert E. Lee. And I stopped and looked at it. And it, it, you know, it's one of those moments where I, I keep looking. And finally, I had my aha moment. Uh, I wish I could say, and I, I went and researched. So for the last mm -hmm. 10 years, I've really been researching this question and the facts changed me, the history changed me, uh, and, and my service to the nation changed me. Uh, I fundamentally believe that we should name those bases, those forts after people who fought for their country, not who were responsible for the deaths of more U.S. Army soldiers than any other. Uh, I think that's worth restating, uh, General, that these bases are named after people who are responsible for causing the deaths of more American soldiers than any other? Than any other. So I think Robert E. Lee uh, and his army of Northern Virginia uh, killed uh, about half of all the, the, or a third of all the casualties in the Civil, uh, the Civil War right. and was responsible for wounding uh, half. So yes, the Army of Northern Virginia killed more than any single general in American history. Uh, and yet we put him all over the place. Yes, he, I mean, we don't think about it that way. More than the, the Germans, more the than the Japanese. The only war that we count the casualties for both sides. Right. But I wore that blue uniform, the same blue uniform that Ulysses S. Grant wore. I wore that for 36 years. Robert E. Lee wore that blue uniform for over 30 years before he chose treason. And, and remember, Joe, that, that, that the, uh, the Constitution lists only one crime. And that crime is waging war against the United, levying war against the United States. And what is the crime? It's treason. Right, right, right. Well, what's going on, among other things that's going on in the news lately, and it's hard for this show to keep up with things that are happening so fast, is that these army bases named uh, throughout the South or in the South mostly that are named after Confederates, the military seems to want to rename them, and yet there's there's backlash from President Trump and maybe others in the administration. And of course, this has inflamed public opinion uh, on both sides, if you will, across the country. Could we go back? Could we go though and enlighten the buzzkillers about about what what these forts are, where they are, and when they were built? Sure. So about so they, they were named in two batches: the first in World War One, uh -huh. the first in World War Two. About half in each. Uh, in World War One, the War Department puts out a memorandum, and what they're trying to do is to make uh, the divisions, and the divisions were done locally. So, for instance, the Blue and Gray Division, the 29th Division from Maryland and Virginia, right, uh, and and that area, uh, they are the 29th. They're called the Blue and Gray, so they go to a certain location and they want to name the fort after uh, that person, a person from that area. So, for instance, the New Jersey Division goes and trains in Alabama, and because of that, they name that fort. Fort McClellan, George McClellan, named after a, a U.S. commander during the Civil War. Okay. So many of the ones that we have now, uh, Fort Benning, uh, 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 Fort uh, Gordon, uh, and Fort Lee, and a couple of others were done during this period. But So let's talk just a little bit about those people and who they were. Right. Well, Fort Benning, uh, named after Henry Benning, never served in the U.S. Army. So we name a U.S. Army post after someone who never served in the U.S. Army. Benning, as a fire eater, someone who tried to tear apart the United States, one of the most ardent secessionists, starts in 1849 by trying to, to incite uh, people to fight against the country. That's mm -hmm. what he's trying to do, trying to break apart the country. And the reason is because he is afraid that the North will stop slavery. 
Right. So he is an ardent uh, slaver, slaver, and he owns nearly a hundred people. Uh, and he is he is uh, fights in the Civil War as never gets above brigade command. But the local community in, in in Columbus, he marries a local woman and owns many many enslaved people there. Uh, and the the local chapter of the United Daughters of the Confederacy want the War Department to name it after him, and the War Department says okay. Right. So here's somebody who was uh, leading secessionists, and then he gives these apocalyptic statements before the war. What happens if there's equality? It will mean ruin. He says, rather than equal rights, rather than political power for black people, I would just as soon there be famine and, and, uh, uh, and, and strife across the land. So wow. that's Benning. Another example would be John Brown Gordon, who did fight bravely in the Civil War, uh, was once wounded five times in the sunken road at Antietam, but never won, never served in U.S. Army Blue during the course of the war. Another person who said that we're fighting this war for slavery because it's the greatest thing on earth. After the war, he gives a speech to uh, African-American uh, people in, um, in Charleston where he says, listen, yes, we fought the war for this because we bought and sold you people. The mm -hmm. next thing he says is that there are 30 million of us and 2 million of you and if you are to demand equal rights, there will be a race war and we will exterminate you. My God. In, later in his life, he becomes one of the founders of the KKK in Georgia. And then later, uh, as governor and senator, he writes very well. He's one of the, uh, the, he writes more about the Civil War than most do. But he becomes governor and as late as, as the 1890s says that you must vote for us. Vote for the Democratic Party because we will ensure white supremacy now and forever. Mm -hmm. So those are just two of the posts named after uh, generals from the, from, the, from the Civil War and World War I. And I'll just mention Lee as well. And the, the thing about Lee to remember is, is that he is, is, is the home of logistics, Fort Lee, Virginia, outside Petersburg. And our logisticians in the U.S. Army are the finest in the history of the world. We are now maintaining the fight all over the globe. We're a global and expeditionary force. Right. And yet those logisticians are majority minority and 50% African-American. Yet the post that is their namesake, is their home base, is named after someone who fought so well and for so long to keep their forefathers enslaved. Okay. So these logisticians who are, are, are now, the majority of them, the majority of the leading officers are from minority groups in the United States, and yet they have to serve at, a, at, at this place called Fort Lee. They have to serve there at a place where the person that, that, that renounced his oath after 30 years and then went on to fight very well and yeah. kill U.S. Army soldiers. And, and by the way, there are atrocities uh, attributed to him uh, at the Battle of the Crater where many uh, uh, U.S. colored troops, is what they were called then, um, were slaughtered after that battle. So uh, and he, during the, during the Civil War, Lee says after the Emancipation Proclamation, we have to keep fighting this war to save our social system. And by that, he means slavery. Right. This is astoundingly clear. It should be astoundingly clear to all Americans. But as we both know, and as most buscularists, I think, know, uh, you know, there's this division in the country that wants to see history two different ways. These two or three bases you've mentioned so far, are those the ones that were built in 1917, the World War I ones? Those were built in World War I in 1917. So if we go on to World War II, there, uh, I mean, one, the, the, the Fort Hood, named after John Bell Hood, is in Texas, and it's uh, the home of, of America's Armored Corps, the biggest armored corps. So it's the largest base of armored people in, in, the, in the country, of, of armored forces. It's, and my son served there. It's a huge post. 
And it was named for John Bell Hood, uh, who was from Kentucky and then said, Kentucky's not moving fast enough towards secession. And so he moved to Texas, started out commanding a Texas brigade, and then later fought as an independent corps commander. And he was uh, impaled himself on the defenses outside Atlanta, as well as in Franklin and, uh, and Nashville. So terror, I mean, he got just crushed uh, several times by U- better U.S. generals. Right. And yet we name it after him. Also, there are instances of atrocities by his forces uh, when they were surrendering outside of uh, Union, Union forces, particularly black forces, surrendering outside of, of Atlanta. So the, these bases were all named, again, for local sensitivities, particularly in World War II. Not only do we have that one, there's one that is no longer that went out of business in 1946-47 that was Camp Nathan Bedford Forest in Tennessee, named after the, the um, founder of the KKK, yeah. as, uh, as well as uh, one of the largest slave traders in, in the world, as well as someone who used the African slave trade, which had been outlawed, uh, and continued to do that later than anyone else. So, and then, then was uh, uh, accused, and I think did atrocities against black troops at Fort Pillow. So mm-hmm. that was another one. But again, why, and I think that the question that we should ask ourselves is, why would the War Department do that? Why name it after these people? And there are two reasons for that. The first is, is white reconciliation. So after the Spanish-American War, there's this idea, and this becomes even more in World War I and World War II, of bringing white America back together and viewing the Civil War as brother against brother, Grant and Lee, blue and gray, union and rebel. You may notice I never use the word union. I use the word U.S. Army because right. that's what I fought for. They were the same people. But they thought of as equal. And so bring white America back together. But as they were doing that, they are also putting their, their boot on the neck of black America because mm-hmm. black America does not have the vote. They have been excised from political power. So even though the state of Mississippi is majority African-American, they have no vote. And because they have no vote, that means the Democratic Party, which controlled the South, is a one-party racial police state. Oh, wait. Let me just, let me just make sure, Buzz, because I understand it. A one-party racial police state. That's an astoundingly That's right. strong statement, but we know that it's true. It just, I, I fear that it's not well enough known out there in the country. During Reconstruction, um, there is a sense of equality that comes in many of the places in the South. Mm-hmm. There are 2,000 African-American men that serve in elected positions mm-hmm. during Reconstruction. I mean, that's astonishing. Yeah. But if you listen to Gone with the Wind or any of these racist diatribes, racist tropes, you would think that Reconstruction was this terrible failure. Well, it didn't end up succeeding, but that's because the people called Redeemers, those who, who fought to regain white political power through terror, through lynching, through and then through laws, uh, ensured that, that that didn't happen. But we get the 13th Amendment, which abolishes slavery. The 14th Amendment, which ensures equal protection of the law, mm-hmm. under the law. And we get the 15th Amendment that for the first time allows uh, voting rights for all men, including African-American men. Mm-hmm. And then we get the Reconstruction laws that come with that, that provide some support. I mean, they weren't perfect. They were compromised documents. But when we do the, the, the civil rights uh, acts that come in the 1960s, they're based on those laws. Right. And yet to hear this, what I grew up with was that Reconstruction, the, they were scalawags and carpetbaggers. Mm-hmm. And they were people that, they were terrible people that were in Reconstruction, not the successes that we should think of now. 
So then what happens after Reconstruction, after 1877, until the the outbreak of World War One that that helps build this I don't know atmosphere where people want to, where, where the military wants to name bases after local with local well, sensibilities in, in mind. Great question. In the South, there is the there the the Southern white politicians begin begin to gain power back, often through violence mm-hmm. and through segregation. But that takes into the 1890s. Yeah, and there's still this firm belief among Civil War veterans that we fought the war, as one of our monuments here states, to free a race and weld a nation. Right. That's what we said. Great, I mean, that, that's the Civil War, free a race, weld a nation. But the, but the Southerners that, that are there during that time, they gain political power. And so everyone then has to, it, because there isn't the political will to go in there and stop that, everyone starts to believe the story that the war wasn't really about slavery, except the Civil War veterans, but they're dying off at this time. Right. So in 1898, there's a Spanish-American War, and it's the blue and gray together. Uh. Finally, Johnny Reb, we have a new external enemy. And that is even more true in World War I. The external enemy means Johnny Reb and Billy Yank come together at last. Uh, and that happens in World War II as well. And this idea that many of, of your readers uh, or your listeners may know about is called the lost cause of the Confederacy right. myth. And the lost cause is a, a, a way of looking at the Civil War that's just wrong. It's what I grew up with, though. And those tenets are the Civil War wasn't about slavery. It was states' rights. Well, that's just baloney. It was the states' rights to have slavery. It was that African-Americans were faithful slaves. Well, that's just not true. It's just mm-hmm. a vicious lie. The Confederacy was defeated only uh, because of the Union's overwhelming uh, manpower advantage. Also not true. And that um, Robert E. Lee was at the apex of the Southern of the Southern Christian gentleman. He was the greatest warrior. He was the greatest human that ever left, mm-hmm. ever lived. And so, in 1936, for instance, they just took a statue down of Lee at Dallas. FDR is the one that dedicated Franklin Roosevelt, president, dedicated that statue to one of the greatest gentlemen in American history. Wow! So now everyone believes this story. Yeah. So by, by, by 1936, again, a few years before the United States gets involved in World War II, this lost cause idea is cemented. It's cemented and it enforces white supremacy. Okay. So that's the thing that we have to do. We have to remember that these statues came up as a symbol of white supremacy. And there are a couple ways that we know about that. For instance, one of the great commanders of the Confederacy is James Longstreet. Yep. He was the, the core commander at Gettysburg. He was, he was the, Lee's right-hand man. For much of the war and, and a superb battlefield commander, West Point graduate. Well, how many statues are there to Longstreet in the South? The answer is zero. Uh-huh. And the reason is that he became a Republican, worked for Ulysses S. Grant when he was president, and was a uh, uh, led by racial uh, militias against white supremacists. And he was seen as a traitor to the white cause in the South, particularly uh-huh. in New Orleans. And so there are no statues to him. So these statues are to enforce white supremacy and enforce white political rule. And it seems as if that the 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 the, the bases, though, I mean, the statues are are clearly clearly there. They're clearly about an individual. You know, they're saying General So and So from Confederate Army. But it's, what interests me so much about the bases is that people like me who don't know, I've never heard of like who is Bragg? Who is uh, Fort Bragg named after? It, I just assumed that, well, like I said at the beginning, it was just this sort of town in North Carolina. But 
It turns out that he was a he was a general for the Confederate Army. And, and Bragg was a good general and not a very good one. Right. Uh, the worst was probably Leonidas Polk, the fighting bishop. And there's Fort Polk in Louisiana, which is our premier okay. training site for infantry. In, and, and he was a terrible general, uh, founded the University of South at Swanee as a place where Episcopal, uh, the Episcopalians could learn why slavery was a good thing. Wow. And his great battlefield accomplishment was being nearly cleaved in two by a cannonball and dying a glorious battlefield death because his work on the battlefield was terrible. He, he invaded into Kentucky, which led to Grant then being able to invade into Tennessee and, and doing and, and, and really helping, uh, helping the U.S. win uh, that area of the country because he, he invaded so soon. And so Polk was a terrible general in that. Beauregard, another general that was named during this period, was the superintendent at West Point for four days when he was um, fired for sedition because he was talking to cadets about when they should leave the country. So, so yeah, all terrible people. Wow. And also, when in, in prepping for this interview, you told me that a lot of them, a lot of these generals, and again, we're talking about roughly 10 generals or, or major officers after whom these bases are named, committed war crimes. Yes, they, they absolutely did. Because remember that when, after 1863, part of the Emancipation Proclamation was to put uh, African-Americans in uniform. Mm -hmm. And this freaked the Confederates out. You mean put, and they you had mean put them in huge, uniform in, in the Union or in the Northern? In the Union Army, right. wearing blue. And so eventually 179,000 uh, black soldiers will will fight bravely. Uh, and that's 10% of the force. I mean, it's a huge number. Mm -hmm. And it was really important. And remember, those numbers are leaving the Confederacy right. and, and the support. Now, we should remember that there were no black Confederate soldiers, right. uh, but there were enslaved people that were helping on that side. So they go over, the Confederacy loses them, they go fight for the, for the United States, and when they're captured at Fort Pillow, uh, at the Battle of the Crater, outside of Atlanta, then what to do with these, with these uh, African-American soldiers? Hood ended up taking many of them and selling them. Uh, Lee, on his fight into Gettysburg, uh, his armies seized hundreds of free African-Americans and freedmen and brought them back to the South. There's one story of where one uh, formerly enslaved person got to the Virginia line and would not go back. So he was tortured and killed on the border rather than submit to being enslaved again. So yes, they are. there's war criminals. There are people that fought desperately for uh, slavery and that used enslaved labor on all of their uh, entrenchments and in their camps. You know, it just, it, it continues to astound me. The, the, the more I do this show, because I'm not a, what, what a historians call an Americanist, I'm not a specialist in American history, but the more you, I, I hear about, the more I read about, the more I talk to experts like you about the Civil War and about the Confederacy, it just seems to get worse and worse and worse. The ideology behind it, the, the strength of that ideology, the 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 extent to the extent to which these these uh, this army, the Confederate army, is willing to go, it just seems to never stop. And so it continues to astound me how there's how was it was able how the South was able to knit back this white supremacy and the lost cause because this was has been so bad. It's as if you were to have Polish army bases in Poland named after Rommel, for instance. It just doesn't. Yes. It doesn't make doesn't make any sense to me. And I think we have a lot of listeners from other countries. So what 
what will, how would you try to explain it to someone from outside the United States, for instance? Well, I, I think I would try to explain it. It's about political power. Okay. And after the South goes to war to make sure that they can keep slavery and expand it. They have dreams of going into Mexico That's and right. Cuba yeah. and other and Puerto Rico and other places. And they won't expand because if they don't expand, then they can't sell their other their humans, their property for more money. So right. they want to expand. So they sow the wind, they reap the whirlwind. What right. they most don't they most want is to keep their slave system uh, because it, it 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 it's everything to them. And when they lose, they are unwilling to accept that part of it. And they spend then, because if they do, Mississippi and South Carolina are majority African-American states. Mm -hmm. They lose power. Yeah. And so the only way to retain power is through violence. Right. And lynching becomes a way of doing that because they don't just kill people. They mutilate them. Yes, they do right. it as part of a, a, a show with thousands of people showing up where they, they take, they, they do, killing isn't quick enough. So whether it's, it's, it's flaying the body or burning the body or a genital mutilation or, uh, and then taking souvenirs. So it is a system of oppression uh, for racial control based on violence. And that continues uh, for, more than a, for more than a century. It's just, it's just shocking. And, and it, it really is something that I think if, I hope that if people really learned about and they understood uh, certainly the neo-confederates nowadays might change their mind if they have any you know any moral fiber to them but i worry that uh, that they're just so brainwashed into this neo-confederacy and lost cause idea that they that they you know they can't see they can't see the truth well i know for me what it did is is it's and i think you would know this too is the history yeah you've got to read it and and it, it you've got to do we've got to do it ourselves each individual person has got to read about this history if we want, the only way to ensure that we don't have a racist future mm -hmm. is to understand our racist past. And as Americans, we can do this. Yes. We have, we can do this. I believe in this country. I fought for this country. I believe in this country. But I know that the only way to do that is to ensure that people like you, that people that are listening to this, go, for, go out and read about this so they understand their background. I grew up in the South. I went to schools that were segregated. Uh, and I went to schools that were desegregated. The one, my elementary school during the, 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 the busing time, the desegregation, I was bused from the white elementary school named after Douglas MacArthur to the almost all black African-American elementary school. And what was the name of that school? Robert E. Lee Elementary School. My God. My God. It is about political power. And when you try to take political power from someone, they are going to fight hard. The other thing I would tell you is history is dangerous. Uh, I did a video many years ago about the cause of the Civil War. Got tons of views on it, but I got actual death threats. Yeah, at when that was this was when I was in the army to my West Point email address because I went after people's identity. Your history is your identity, and if you go after that, people will react. Could be violently because uh, because because history is dangerous, and we're telling the truth, and. Uh, the, the truth doesn't care about your feelings, but we could be uncomfortable. Uncomfortable is okay. Right. Uncomfortable never killed anybody. Right. Well, General, it, this has been one of our best shows, and it's one of the, I think, the shows that can have the most impact of almost any show we've ever had. So it just remains for me to say thank you very much and that we hope you will be able to come back 
uh, on the show in, in coming weeks and coming months to talk about topics like this. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. And we want to say to the Buzzkillers that this is kind of a special week for us. We have changed our schedule because of current events. Obviously, we had this show today because of what's going on in the United States, the debates about the Confederate named bases. But tomorrow we go with our regularly scheduled program, which was about which is about Churchill's Shadow Raiders, the race to develop radar, World War II's invisible secret weapon. And then Wednesday we're going to come back to the lost cause myth, the lost cause story, and interview the very important historian, Adam Donby, whose new book, The False Cause, Fraud, Fabrication, and White Supremacy in Confederate Memory, is so important for all of us to read, so important for all of us to hear about and understand. So please stick with us all week. There are, there are a lot of shows this week, and every single one of them is worth it. Talk to you later. Thank you.